Hear ye, hear ye, come one and all. Join us for a free introductory journey through occult theory and practice. Learn dazzling mysteries, occult sciences, and powerful spells. Heal the sick, curse your enemies, and attract the favor of that sexy human next door. All this can be yours absolutely free. All we ask is that you tune in every other week. Learn what you can and put it into practice. Some side effects may include stress relief, a new outlook on life, and a newfound obsession with small shiny objects. Tune in today. I like that we've been getting some hits on the Facebook community. Yeah, that's been nice. It's been nice to talk to people. Like, we appreciate the people that post. It's lovely. It is lovely. Yeah. I'm hoping for some more kick in that direction. That would be great. That would be great. Shall we get rolling? Yeah, I don't see any reason why not. Let's get rolling. In the name of the Lady of the Moon and the Lord of Death and Resurrection, in the name of the Mighty Ones of the Four Quarters, the Kings of the Elements, blessed be this space-time and they who are with us now. Life, light, love, blessed be. And welcome to Fool's Guide to the Occult. I'm Kevin. And I'm the ghost of Christmas yet to come. By the way, that opening for our little episode here is a selected piece of the Drayton Prayer with one slight modification of my own. Uh, Drayton is an idea from Wiccan, um, a variety of Wiccan paths that is sort of similar to the idea of Tao, sort of above and beyond the god and goddess. It's an unknowable, impersonal god force, and I thought it was a nice way to start our episode today. Sure. Today, we are talking about winter holidays. Uh, We're going to talk about Saturnalia and Yule a whole lot, but we will also touch on Christmas, Hanukkah, a few other traditions around the world, and then we're going to end the episode by leaving you with some ideas for creating your own winter solstice or other holiday traditions and practices but to get it all started let's dip into journaling ghost do you want to get us rolling yeah sure why not uh just for fun i added that key development ritual we taught you all in our last episode to the beginning of my evening yoga routine it's led to a really pleasant way of calming and focusing my mind and clearing out the day's clutter before diving into my yoga practice which always ends with about 10 to 20 minutes of zazen. Uh, it's been really nice to start with a slow, calm breath control practice before doing yoga. I feel like it's helped to set the pace and slow down my ever racing mind. And uh, that's really what I have the, for you all this week. The next episode, I think I'm going to try and get back to our classic journaling sort of framework and remind everyone what that format should look like. Yeah, I think I'll commit to that for next episode. Okay. But yeah, that's what I got. I really like some of our freeform journaling practice, but I think that uh, it is a good move to touch back on formal framework every now and again. Yeah. So I've been having a bit of an adventurous couple of weeks. Uh, I developed plantar fasciitis in one foot. and uh, Explain. Plantar fasciitis, the plantar fascia is a large band of tissue that sits uh, just in front of the pad of your heel on the bottom of your foot, and it connects by other large bands of tissue to each of your toes. And if you uh, wear crappy shoes or have a lot of weight on your feet for a long time, or you get fat like me, then sometimes little micro tears develop in that plantar fascia and it swells. And what that does in practical terms is make it hurt every time you step. 
uh, and your foot kind of tenses and locks up anytime your weight is off of it for more than a few minutes. And that sucks fat nuts. It's not great. Darn. But it is relatively easily treated at home uh, with supportive footwear and stretching exercises and wrapping and ice and that sort of thing. So I switched my insoles and that's been helping a bunch. But where I was going with this is it necessitates fairly frequent stretching. And I've been using that as a moment to pause and collect things uh, in terms of, of thought exercises. And that's been really valuable. And I hope it continues to be valuable because plantar fasciitis lasts about 10 months if treated carefully. Ooh. If treated carefully. If treated carefully. Well, shoot. Well, right after it I, developed, uh... I spent a week in Disney World, which um, changed it from developing to definitely being a thing. Yes. And that was not my wisest choice, but Disney World. Am I right? So the long and short is I have uh, a few built-in windows of meditation that are just going to be part of my life for the next 10 months or so. Enjoy them. I will. Enjoy every last second of them. Like, I feel like, I don't know if I believe in the sort of like pop culture karmic thing where like the universe tells you a thing by damaging your body and making something part of your reality for a while. Uh, I don't, I don't sure. subscribe to that, but right. I do feel like there is never a bad time to be a magical opportunist. Oh no. So, so given the fact that this is my current state of reality and will be for ideally just under a year, which is really alarming. It's a while. It is. That is a slow healing chunk of people. But given the fact that that just is what I'm going to have to deal with for the next quite a while, I might as well benefit from it. Yes. So I've taken the opportunity not to go with a Zazen meditation. Um, it's really just not my style per se, but I have been doing a, uh, like a, like a very uh, composed self inventory where I kind of go through the rest of my body evaluating all right, how is this feeling? How is this feeling? Tense this, relax this from like head to toe and then back up again over the course of like 20 minutes of stretching. And wow. it's it's been a really good way to take strong, healthy pauses and claim some mental space in a busy workday. Yeah, it's legit. It is. Cool. Yeah. Sounds good, man. So gentle listeners, personal recommendation, uh, don't get plantar fasciitis. But if you do, consider it an opportunity, even though it hurts a lot. Birds of the wise. I guess kind of. Yeah. If I went around calling myself wise, it wouldn't be very wise, would it? Mm, no. Like, hey, what's up? My name is Kevin and I'm wise. <laughs> no, you're not wise. You're an asshole, they would say to me in their heads. like, Right? Be almost as bad as that. Uh, did you ever see that Japanese uh, movie House Suit? Mm-hmm. It's been a while. All the, yeah, all the characters are named after their, like, core attributes. So there's, like, I don't know, like, pretty and sporty. And then there's just one that's, um, I don't remember what's Clever or something. Yeah, they're all, like, named after their attributes anyway. Which is a fun idea, except it's a little bit Spice Girls-y. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I feel like it is convenient that the Spice Girls just, like, categorized all the members for us real quick like oh this is what i can expect from this individual (laughs) it's true yeah all right but instead of talking about the spice girls uh we're here to talk about winter holidays i mean yes sorry 
start a new podcast. <laughs> Winter holidays, not the Spice Girls. Uh huh. So why why Winter holidays? Bring me with you. Sure. So uh, if we want to kind of bring it back, our earliest ancestors really relied heavily on the seasons, right? Sure. So. The seasons indicated migratory patterns of animals as well as uh, optimal times for planting, harvesting of crops, when seasonal floods might uh, take place in our ancient river valley civilizations and so forth. So it's only natural to have holidays for you know early peoples to develop holidays around these really important times um, uh, of their year. Uh, especially the days of the year where there are the most and least sunlight. In other words, the solstices. Sure. Uh, the winter solstice marks the beginning of the solar year. And I think that depends on where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it depends on what hemisphere you're right. in. Uh, so for, for me here in Portland, Oregon, our winter solstice would be December 21st. Uh, we will have eight hours, 41 minutes, 57 seconds of daylight. And then we slowly started getting more. But... December 21st for everybody in the, you know, Southern Hemisphere is going to be, what, the spring solstice, right? Yeah, or summer solstice. Summer, I'm sorry, summer solstice. I think we had a spring solstice, like the no, most springy we, day. No, it was just another word that started with S. Right, right, so. right. I don't know how much uh, daylight they will have, but I guess the rest? Like, this is how much we'll have and they'll have the rest? Oh, I, I don't think that's accurate. No, That would be a lot of sunlight, wouldn't not. it? <laughs> That that does not math. No. <laughs> but I like the thought of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the 21st is the winter solstice for everyone in the northern hemisphere and the summer solstice for everyone in the southern hemisphere. So not only do the length of the days change, but the closer to the winter solstice in the northern hemisphere it is, the further south that big giant solar furnace in the sky will rise uh, until the day of the winter solstice in which it rises in the same place as the day before and begins its journey back north the following day. Uh, Through that, we can understand the meaning of the word solstice, or at least the etymology, sol being the Latin word for sun and sistere meaning to stand still. Though we get to definition of sun stands still, I guess. My Latin is bad. Uh, And obviously, the migration of the sun is the opposite for the summer solstice. Uh, Before we dive into some historical beliefs and practices, I'd like to clear up the difference between the solstice and the equinox just to, you know, have it out there, lay it all out there, right? So uh, this happens March 20th and September 23rd um, and is the time of the year where the equator aligns with the center of the visible sun. For those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, we have the vernal or spring equinox in March, and our autumn equinox is in September. The word equinox comes from the Latin that I will butcher, equinoctium. equinoctium. Yeah. So, equus, uh, meaning equal, and nox, a form of the word noct, noctis, noctis, I don't know, something, something like that. Noctis, yeah, meaning night. So... Thus, the definition equinox uh, is to have equal hours of day and night. In Wicca, we have Ostara, a Sabbath on the vernal equinox. 
uh, which celebrates spring and fertility. And we have Mabon on the autumn equinox, which honors the changes in the seasons and the harvest time. It is a time to be thankful as well as aware of the coming winter and the shortening of the days. So let's talk a bit about history and cultural anthropology. Um, sure. Yeah. Most traditions turning this time are in honor of the cultural sun god. Uh, the Greeks made offerings to Apollo, uh, the Incas to Inti, the Mayans to Kinichau, uh, but we don't know too much detail about some of these traditions. What we can provide you, however, is an analysis of three major traditions. So for this episode, we are going to focus on Saturnalia, its co-option into Christianity as Christmas, and Yule. And then we will get to talking about how you can develop your own celebrations, traditions, and rituals to honor the winter solstice or any Sabbat. Yeah, and we're also going to throw in a couple other sprinklings of different things. Sure, so I think spicy you're going to tell us a little bit about Hanukkah, and then there's a couple other worldly traditions we know a little bit we'll about. Throw some we'll little talk. nugs of learning in there for y'all. Yeah, little nuggets. All right, so let's talk about Saturnalia right. first. All right, Saturnalia was a week-long festival in honor of the Roman god Saturn, which began on December 17th and ended on December 23rd each year. To the ancient Romans, Saturn represented wealth, um, both of food and money, uh, as well as renewal and liberation, which is important, as we'll see a little later on. After the Romans conquered Greece... Uh, as many of you already know, Saturn took on aspects similar to the Greek god, um, or Titan really, Kronos, namely the aspect of being in control of time and being the father of a number of the, the key gods in the pantheon. Likewise, the Greeks had a similar holiday called Kronia, though it was celebrated in midsummer rather than near to the solstice. Saturn's temple was within the Roman Forum, um, but there was also another temple um, outside of the forum, too. Uh, there was a public temple as well. Right. Uh, but clearly, if they had a temple of Saturn within the forum, there's no separation of church and state uh, in their republic. Not really, no. Uh, so let's no, no, no. let's dig into it a bit. When Saturnalia started, everything in Rome shut down. Uh, if they had wars going on, they were either canceled, postponed, paused, time-outed, uh, everyone expected to wear plain clothing because during Saturnalia, everyone was seen as relatively equal. Uh, in part, social hierarchy went out uh, with the bathwater, sort of, but but only really symbolically. So, like, masters and slaves would eat at the same table for, at mealtimes, even though the slaves were definitely still the ones doing the cooking. Uh, they would they would eat together symbolically. Slaves were allowed to speak their mind in full knowledge that at the end of Saturnalia, things would go back to how they were, and you shouldn't say anything that would tick off the big man for that long. It, it really never led to anything further than like jokes and pranks as a result. Uh, but for the time being, citizens, free people, and slaves kind of met on the level. Yeah. Uh, so to kick it all off, there'd be a sacrifice to Saturn in front of his temple. Um, again, we talked about there, there were two, so there's one in public, and one in the forum, the sacrifice would take a place at the, the public temple. Uh, supposedly, the statue of Saturn 
Um, and I only found this in one of our sources. I couldn't really verify it. But according to one source we read, the the statue of Saturn in front of the temple was hollow and filled with olive oil. Which is kind of It neato. raises an interesting question. If you huh. had a religion about you, wherein someone yes. decided to build a statue, and yes. that statue were hollow and full of something, what uh-huh. would you want your statue to be full of? Lemonade. That was remarkably quick. I would love to hear some of your thought behind that. <laughs> another time. Okay. <laughs> An- another anyway. time, gentle listeners, we'll talk about why the ghost of Christmas yet to come believes that his statue should be full of lemonade. <laughs> All right. So we've got Saturn. His uh, statue's full of olive oil. Yes. Anyway. After the public sacrifice in front of the statue, the priests would wheel out or take out or remove somehow a large wooden carving of Saturn, which was housed inside the temple, made specifically for the occasion. Right. And it is carried to the forum where it would rest on a couch, presiding over a massive feast of everyone that was assembled, both Senate and citizens and slaves alike. Okay. And after the feast... As the sun started to go down, people continued at indoor parties, but these parties would often go late into the night and people would move from house to house. Uh, The streets, which were normally dark, were instead lit with massive torches every night to make it safer for people to travel. Yeah, and on the third day of Saturnalia, Ops, Saturn's wife, and goddess of the harvest was celebrated with massive feasts a lot of again. Feasting I mean, for Saturnalia. Just in holidays in general. True. Just people like to eat, you know, as if we need any more excuses to gorge ourselves. Right. This festival was one long eating and drinking marathon. Uh, for those of us in the US, imagine like Thanksgiving that lasted for a week long and you were obligated to participate. Like mandatory week long Thanksgiving. Oh, God. That's terrible. For every meal. Uh-huh. Oh, God. The politics at the yeah. table would just get so bad. Oh. So bad. Yeah. Uh. Yep. 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 So during Saturnalia, people got together with their family and their friends and they feasted and partied every night. Oh, and there was gift giving. Gift giving. Yes. Uh, It is customary to exchange small gifts with pretty much everyone you know. And the the gifts were supposed to get better each year that you knew them. Uh, So people would also go door to door to visit with neighbors. And when they did this, they were expected to bring small gifts then as well. Uh, gambling, which was illegal in the Roman Empire, was permitted during Saturnalia. Uh, there was also a fun party game that I did that I think might be great to bring back around. They would nominate someone as the king of Saturnalia. Uh, and whatever they told people at the party to do, uh, they would have to do. Though this was all generally in good fun, like nothing particularly serious. Yeah, uh, this was usually... Um, the king was usually chosen by slave or uh, among slaves or criminals, which is kind of neat. So, like, you got a day or oh, I guess a week to to feel like king or god when sure. you were, uh, you know, of a much lower class. Um, unfortunately, they were usually killed at the end of the festival. Mm. So, if we bring that little bit back, maybe we just just don't we'll skip that anybody. part though i could think of a few good candidates in dc for this yes but i wouldn't want them to be any more in power than they already are even for a week uh, fair um anyway another thing i really like about saturnalia is it was uh customary to set aside grudges and fights um and when we said everything in rome shut down like we were serious like all the way schools courts all businesses it was party time for reals 
some authors have gone as far to say that towards the end of Saturnalia, Rome sort of descended into a state of complete debauchery. Didn't really have far to sink. True. But people usually use debauchery in like a, a negative sense like a I'm pejorative all about in, yeah I'm, I'm all about indulging in your sensual experience sure. you know if you want to get wasted and have crazy orgies for weeks on end you know as long as everyone's consenting maybe that's the fun. game from Saturnalia we should be bringing back orgies yeah like get lit get laid yeah that sounds like I mean the world could use more love that's right? for sure it's like you know you would talk about like in high school we would talk about like do a joke that we wanted to bring back like everybody would get milk and a cookie and a nap like they did in preschool and we could do that in high school would be much more valuable. And and this is like that, except it was Roman, not preschool. Yeah. Listen, I don't really know yeah. where this went or where I started. I had a thought when I started on this tangent. I've got a thought. Tell me your thought. Knock, knock. Who's there? Yule. Yule who? You'll never know. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'll show myself oh. up. <laughs> now I'm sad. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> excuse me oh actually we we should have a halfway decent idea after this section uh there's a bit to dig into here this holiday comes from a mix of germanic and nordic traditions uh the name comes from yule or yol or one of the many other names for the god odin who presided over the wild hunt a supernatural event that was believed to take place around the solstice uh at points odin was known as the yule father and sometimes the Nordic gods were collectively referred to as the Yule Ones. Indeed. SRW claims that Yule comes from a Scandinavian word meaning wheel, but I'm thinking the definition you just gave is probably closer to accurate. Uh, There's a lot of confusion out there about how long Yule lasted. Some say specifically 12 days, some say a week. Others in our research have said up to two weeks surrounding the solstice. This was always a time period Um, where it was believed there was an increase in supernatural activity. Sure. Because of this, uh, you know, in earlier cultural practices, there may have been uh, a bit of ancestor worship, ancestor veneration around this time. Sure. Which makes sense considering other cultures we know who have time periods where supernatural activity peaks or, you know, the veil between life and death is thinner. This, you know, coincides with forms of ancestor worship in other cultures like Dia de los Muertos in, sure. in Mexico being an example. Sure, um, like the ofrendas, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Yule is con- is considered a time of renewal and of rebirth as well. Sure. Some activities during Yule, historically speaking, uh, involved the burning of Yule logs at massive bonfires that were symbolic of the light and life-giving heat that the sun provides. Uh, these were also tied to the god Thor. Historically, wood of the ash tree was used for Yule logs because it was representative of the world tree. How do you pronounce this? I think it's Yggdrasil. 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 The world tree. In modern times, oak is frequently used as a substitute. Hardwoods in general, so they burn for longer. Yule logs were also often decorated with evergreens and burned as a practice of sympathetic magic. Uh, you would also always start a Yule log with a piece left over from last year's Yule log. And you never burn this year's completely. Yeah, save a little bit for next year, uh, as well as little pieces as talismans for good luck. 
there was also feasting, sacrifice to the gods, uh, much drunken merrymaking during which time toasts would be made to the gods of the harvest and to deceased friends and family. I read a few places that uh, the Yule log was supposed to burn the first night and then smolder for the rest of Yule. That's um, That's got to be some talented fire management. I know, right? How do you just keep it slightly warm? Like <laughs> you know, props. embery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, as with Saturnalia, gift giving was uh, common during this time. It seems that oranges uh, and apples, too, were common gifts from children to neighbors as they represented the sun. Okay. So, you'll still see uh, oranges a lot in um, some holiday decorations and wreaths and things, and, but you know, definitely more common amongst the, the pagan crowd. We probably should have mentioned this towards the beginning of the, sh- the section, but within Wicca, there are eight Sabbaths, uh, four greater and four lesser. The lesser Sabbaths follow the phases of the sun and uh, celebrations of the horned god, while the greater Sabbaths are specifically tied to the seasons and are celebrations of the goddess. Uh, coming at this from an angle of Strict spiritual practice. Let's pull a little excerpt from uh, Buckland's complete book of witchcraft. Let's. All right. He says, Sabbaths start, as do all circle rituals, with the erecting of the temple rite. You should follow this with uh, a full moon ritual, if appropriate, for the Sabbath day. If the Sabbath falls on a quarter point, then omit this. Then comes the particular Sabbath ritual, which leads to cakes and ale. This is followed by games and or entertainment and feasting. I like how many things lead to cakes and ale. All things lead to cakes and ale. Like, I feel like part of living life in a Wiccan practice is just moving through your day-to-day, occasionally arriving at cakes and ale. (laughs) And I think that's Uh, fabulous. Yeah, certainly around the Sabbaths. Well, yeah. um, unfortunately, there's never that long to wait between cakes and ale. Only a couple months. Right. It's true. It's true. Unfortunately, Buckland only covers the greater Sabbaths in his book, so we're kind of SOL when it comes to getting anything more out of him for this particular holiday season. Actually, as far as Sabbath sections go, um, this book's kind of weak. Uh, SRW's Solitary Witch or The Spiral Dance by Starhawk has a, a bit more valuable information on the topic. Complete book of witchcraft. I know. Silver Ravenwolf provides a nice Yule prayer. She labels it as an invocation, but we use invocation to mean something very specific, and I don't think strictly speaking this actually fits. But it would be a great prayer, speech, incantation, I guess, uh, to give during a Yule ritual. Uh, both SRW and Starhawk recommend decorating your altar with mistletoe and holly. Starhawk provides a, a very specific outline for ritual to be led by the coven, um, which involves spoken chants and dancing and trance work. It would be pretty hard for us to outline this without uh, directly plagiarizing her work. So if you're interested in a specific Wiccan religious ceremony surrounding the Sabbath, maybe check out um, either that book you know, or check out uh, SRW has some stuff in her book um, as well. Several books. Well, several books, but I'm, I'm specifically thinking about Solitary Witch. Sorry. Solitary Witches, yeah. yeah. Um, 
We can say, however, it follows a motif of death and rebirth. Which is very winter. Uh, This cycle of death and rebirth is found in Wiccan Yule tradition because of its relation to the horned god in the solar season. Uh, The horned god is the male half iteration chunk of traditional Wicca's duotheistic system. Uh, The other half being the triple goddess. The horned god is associated with the sun, nature, hunting, sexuality. They're really both associated with sexuality. But the, the circle of life, which I refuse to sing about no matter what our script says <laughs> and as such uh, i tried <laughs> often depicted as a man with the head of an antlered beast indeed uh the horn god is himself seen as a duelist <laughs> <laughs> i tried so hard <laughs> oh well we just talked about plagiarizing work <laughs> <laughs> it's two lines <laughs> it, you're right We'll do a fair use analysis later. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The horn god is himself seen as dualistic, having both a a light and a dark half, not dissimilar to uh, human nature. These aspects are represented by the Oak King and the Holly King. However, in some other versions of Wicca, he's split into three, mirroring the aspects of the triple goddess. In these cases, he's represented by the warrior nature, the fatherly figure, and the wise old sage. Uh, but back to the horned god as a whole and his relation to the Yule. Uh, in the winter, he is born. He impregnates the goddess and then promptly dies in the fall, uh, only to be reborn again through her during Yule. Yeah. And as a side note, during the holiday of Imbolc, he is said to provide over the wild hunt as Odin did in the Scav- Scandinavian variants of Yule. Which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty so cool. that's like Yule in a nutshell. Yes, it is. Indeed, indeed. Let's have a quick interlude. Interlude, you say? An interlude, I say. All right. Well, today's episode is brought to you by the Ace of Wands. The Ace of Wands signifies the descent of spirit into matter, business, new beginnings, abundance of creative or sexual energy, or something else of a creative manner. However... All of this exists in a state of potential. Right side up in the spread, the Ace of Wands tells of perhaps the beginning of a family, a business, an invention, or setting off on a journey, an adventure. It also indicates an abundance of energy. If you have to fight for the thing that you want, go ahead and fight for it. The Ace of Wands indicates that you have the energy to accomplish this goal. Upside down, however, the Ace of Wands warns of false starts, clouded joys, the delay or even cancellation of the aforementioned businesses, inventions, journeys, families, etc. In this position, the Ace of Wands can represent a blockage to creative energy, violence of a physical or sexual nature, and misuse of power. Indeed. So let's talk about how Saturnalia got horked and hoisted and twisted around until it was Christmas. Christmas! Christmas! Let's Uh, talk about that. (laughs) So, as most of us know, December was not actually the birth time of Jesus. Spoilers! If you guys didn't know by now, it's it's been like a couple thousand years. Um, (laughs) But it was officially changed around the time Christianity became the state religion of Rome. Specifically in 273 CE. Sometime before that, Emperor Aurelian named December 25th the birthday of the sun 
but in 273, uh, the church decided that this day would be perfect to represent perfect. the birthday of Christ because he's the son. Is I guess he's the son. That had layers, man. Yes, it does. That was good. <laughs> that was bad, but that was good. No, no, no. It's important. We'll talk about it some other day. We will. So this was done this declaration, as an attempt to convert pagans throughout the Roman Empire, which at the time stretched as far north as Britannia, all along the northern coast of Africa and west into parts of modern-day Turkey and Syria, uh, those in control decided to change the date of the birth of Jesus to match the popular winter holidays. Uh, This co-option of pagan holidays was seen as a way to help in the conversion process, Though really what ended up happening was people publicly accepted Christianity and then practiced their own religion behind closed doors, which was all well and good until uh, they started being tortured and executed for their beliefs, Uh, most notably, well, at least fairly notably, uh, witch hunts of the Middle Ages would be a case for this. Yeah. Interestingly, there's the 12 Days of Christmas song, as many of us know and maybe are very annoyed by every Christmas season. And it's infinite variants. Like it's annoying, but it there's a there's a funny partridge. Well, there's a funny Canadian version that doesn't have partridges. Oh, okay, great. There's like toques and beer. Good, I like. And I don't have either of those things in my house, but it's better than freaking partridges in a stupid tree. Yeah. Well, like why would you even want a pear tree during the winter? So like, I don't think that's when you harvest pears. Yeah. Uh, it, it the partridge in the pear tree is a reference to Jesus somehow. Is it? Yeah. Um. Anyway, I, man, it's all it, so many things are secretly Jesus. Uh, it's layers and layers of references. Each thing in that song represents an element of Christianity. But let's let's move forward. Ugh. Ancient practitioners of Yule celebrated it for twelve days, according to some of our sources. Theologians have linked each element of the twelve days of Christmas song to an aspect of the Christian faith. For example, the partridge in the pear tree, as we just mentioned, represents Christ. However, Christmas Day is I don't get it. <laughs> it's okay, you don't have to I don't get it. the metaphor. I, okay. I don't get the pear tree part. Or the partridge part. Yeah. I don't I, yeah, I don't get it either. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas Day has been the first is the first of the 12 days of Christmas, which has been seen as the amount of time it took the three wise old dudes to walk all the way from Bethlehem and receive epiphany. Don't tell don't ask me why they didn't take a camel or a horse or a carriage, but they walked epiphany. Isn't it like just desert all around Bethlehem? Yes. As far as I've been aware. there, it's just it's just desert. They could have sand surfed. They, they could have took a they could have invented sandserve if they were really in a hurry to meet Jesus. I know. Don't you think the three quote unquote wise men would have invented sandsurfing? You gentle listeners should post about this in our Facebook group, fellow travelers. I want to read three wise men fanfic about their wacky adventures between the time they set off. I want speculative historical fiction. I want to invent the genre (laughs) of speculative historical fiction (laughs) about the three wise men inventing sandboarding. All right. So these three wise men, it it takes them 12 days. Epiphany is the thing that they receive upon arriving and and seeing the Christ child. So what this really means is realizing that that sweet little baby Jesus was their Lord and Savior. The day of Epiphany is celebrated on the 6th of June. Um, 
the days in between are the, the 12 days and nights of Christmas. Few people in the United States, or at least few people I know or ever came in contact with, and I grew up in a predominantly Christian town of people of many different sects of Christianity. Um, and basically, people celebrate Christmas, from what I understand it. Yeah, pretty much. Then the rest of it is is fairly lost in the United States. But um, more busy. Yeah, you know, we celebrate Christmas. Who has like six months Christmas to Day. do Christmas? We do. Yeah, we do capitalist Christmas. We do. <laughs> right. Um, but like members of the, the Eastern Orthodox Church, from what I understand, tend to give gifts on each of the 12 days and then see uh, Epiphany rather than Christmas Day to be the most important day of the holiday. Because like Christmas was the day that somebody like tooted the metaphysical horn, but the Avengers didn't actually assemble until Epiphany. Right. And then those three wise men, they show up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I, gold is definitely useful. The frankincense and the myrrh are infants. They're less... Symbolic reference, but that's about it. They're less immediately beneficial to a single mother. Yeah. Well, she wasn't single. Wasn't she? No, she had a boyfriend, but they didn't have intercourse or something like that i was gonna say how was that dude like props to him supportive guy i mean maybe it was a asexual relationship but i think joseph i think was his name okay wonderful uh-huh hey that's let's all talk I- about hanukkah yeah let's talk about hanukkah so hanukkah hanukkah this year is december 22nd at sundown until december 30th at sundown it's different each year because the Jewish calendar is very different from the Gregorian one, which is what we typically follow. Uh, The Hebrew calendar is lunar. There is a leap month added every so often, and all the months are 30 days long, as opposed to the Gregorian calendar with its varied month lengths and its occasional leap day. Uh, The Hebrew dates on which Hanukkah falls are from the 25th of Kislev until the 3rd of Tevet. Uh, The actual story of Hanukkah Uh, there's the really sanitized version of it that you kind of hear culturally. And then there's like the real folk story of what went down on Hanukkah. And that story involves invasion and rebellion and religious oppression and defiling of temples and foreign powers interfering in civil matters. Um, Juicy. Juicy indeed. Uh, That was good too. That that also had layers. (laughs) I liked that. I'm trying my best. I, yeah. Props, man. Nailing them. Uh, In 200 BCE, uh, the land of Judea was part of the Ptolemaic Egyptian Empire, and it was conquered in 200 BCE uh, by the Greek uh, Seleucid Empire. I think it's Seleucid. Sounds right. I'm going to pronounce it like that, and if it's wrong, tough tits. Uh, Originally, the Judean people were permitted a great deal of latitude and religious liberty, Uh, but over time, some Jews were Hellenized into the worship of the Greek pantheon. Uh, These Jews were called the Tobiads, or the sons of Tobias, uh, and they were violently exiled to Syria in about 175 BCE. Uh, They got ticked off. Uh, They petitioned the uh, Seleucid emperor, Antiochus at the time, uh, to invade and retake Jerusalem, which he did in about 168 BCE with further great violence. Uh, Archaeological evidence indicates that the whole thing was possibly an ongoing civil war between Hellenistic and traditional Judean people and the Seleucid emperor picking the side that he was friendliest with and murdering most of the other one. Oof. Yes. 
Uh, so Judaism was banned, circumcision was banned, the holy temple was defiled, an altar of Zeus was built, pigs were sacrificed, sacred oil was spilled and, and uh, diluted with pig's blood. It was gnarly, bro. It was gnarly. Uh, and this then led to a massive revolt by a dude named Matityahu, the Hasmonean, and his sons and their followers. Isn't and they were still uh, much more... A reggae musician? Uh, he's... I think a rapper. Oh. Maybe it's reggae. It's like rapper. I used to listen to Matisyahu a lot. Yeah. That's like a modern Israeli dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, this was uh, Matityahu Hamakabi, uh, ah. which which means the hammer. Whoa. So the original Captain Hammer. All right. Um, within a year, that dude died. Uh, but his five sons were also involved. Uh, they were still more Ptolemaic in their policies and politics and attitudes. They didn't really want to be Greek. They were quite content being Egyptian. Um, so their group was referred to as the Maccabees or the Hammers. And they were also really violent, like guerrilla campaigns, domestic revolt, bad news, just bad, bad news all around. Um, they ousted large portions of the Seleucid army from the temple, uh, and they went about reconsecration. Uh, the process of reconsecrating the holy temple required burning pure sacred olive oil uh, with the high priest seal of kashrut or consecration uh, continuously in the temple's menorah. They only found one unsullied flask of that stuff, uh, and they could make more, but uh, it would take like eight days to prepare. And they, the one flask was only expected to burn for one night, but they'd started the process. And you can't just stop, I guess? The, the record is unclear. But anyway, it takes eight days to make more sacred oil. The bit of the story that is purportedly miraculous, like the real meat and potatoes of the cultural Hanukkah story, is that little bit of oil that they had burned for all eight nights rather than running out as expected. Okay. So that was, that was the big news. Got it. So they um, purified the temple. They reconsecrated the right. temple, and then there were decades of war. Great. Right, right, right. Uh, end result, modern Jews celebrate eight nights of Hanukkah. Uh, each night, a helper candle is used to light candles on a Hanukkah menorah, or Hanukkiah, uh, which is a nine-branched candelabra. Uh, you light one for each night of your celebration. So one on the first night, all the way up to eight candles for the eighth night. Uh, traditionally, small gifts are exchanged. Some rabbis uh, tend to avoid mourning and eulogies during Hanukkah. Uh, traditional foods are eaten, such as uh, there's a type of jelly donut called sufganiot. Hmm. Uh, there are potato pancakes called latkes. Uh, from experience, these things are delicious. Yeah, I, I um, like them all. Yeah, I've had them too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, a little bit like puchki, sufganiot. It's, I mean, it's a... It's a Sugar-covered jelly donut. They're delicious. Yeah, it's not um, there's a, a spinning top game called Dreidel, uh, which is typically played both to uh, gamble for small change or chocolate coins, and also as a vessel for telling the honestly somewhat sanitized Hanukkah story. Huh. Um, most folks don't talk about the invasion of the Seleucid Empire. That's just not really the done thing. Gotcha. So I mean, technically speaking, Hanukkah isn't particularly religiously significant. Right. Not like... Like Passover is like a big deal, right? No, no, no. Passover is like a major holiday. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. It's like a major harvest festival. Uh, Hanukkah is just like a regular low-grade festival. Okay. Like 
It's just not that important. Uh, however, it is much more, it's been more accepted by mainstream culture, especially in the U.S., uh, than other Jewish holidays tend to be. Like, you don't talk about Tubishvat elsewhere in American culture. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that one is at all. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, you don't talk about Shavuot in the rest of American culture. And those are quite a bit more important. But, but you talk about Hanukkah because it happens around Christmas time and there are presents and we were able to repackage that for consumerism. Uh-huh. Of course. Of course. Right. And that's Hanukkah, kids. All right. Hey, we learned something here today. We did. All right. Well, let's. Uh, that's our major holidays. Let's talk about some of these little ones that we have kind of hanging around here real short. Little to us, maybe big to the people involved. Yeah, that's really fair. Um, these are just some stuff we've read a little bit about or heard a little bit about right. and can share like a couple sentences on. But sure. I mean, to the people that, that practice these, they're they're probably quite a big deal. Um, so our bad on that one, Yeah, but we're still happy to tell you. About and, it. and that said, there's many more other holidays that qualify oh, in this category that like we can't cover them all. We don't even know about. We got to save a few for like the next several years if we keep doing this. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Right? Like we can't, we can't, we can't spill the tea on all of the nifty like midwinter time traditions. Gosh. And also we'd be like presenting you with a several hours long lecture. So and we won't. We won't. We won't do that to ourselves, our throats, or you. Um, or you. Anyway, shall we? We shall. All right. Sheb Eyalda, or Yalda Night, is a Iranian tradition. Uh, this is, from what I understand, a festival that takes place on the longest night of the year, the solstice. Um, friends and family gather, feast, drink, read poetry together. Some specific foods related to this holiday are fruits in red hues, um, such as watermelon or uh, pomegranates, because these colors are supposed to be symbolic of sunrise. These practices seem to have their roots in Zoroastrianism, sorry, Zoroastrianism, uh, where this was a practice done to protect people throughout the night from the evil powers of Adiman, the antagonist, I guess you could say, in Zoroastrianism, the, the evil god. Um, and so over this longest night of the year, he had the most strength and the most power. So this was a practice to, for everyone to come together and protect one another. I like that it ties back to that that sense of the thinning of the veils. Yeah. Of, of the spiritual world being closer on this night. Yeah. And that's a really old tradition that seems to have uh, the roots of that seem to be in a lot of, of customs around the world. Right. Um. So though most of the ancient Zoroastrian customs related to this day seem to uh, appear to be lost, the culture, cultural tradition of um, staying up late with friends and family still exists to this day, which is wonderful. It is. Let's talk about Santo Tomas in Guatemala. Yes. Uh, St. Thomas's Day uh, is on the solstice and honors the Apostle Thomas. Uh, but in Guatemala on this day, many uh, Maya venerate their ancient sun god with a practice referred to as the palo volador uh which translates to flying pole dance yeah which i'm super on board with i have a pole so in my room so please come do a flying pole dance uh three dudes climb up a 50 foot pole you still with me yeah all right one of them plays music maybe a drum maybe a flute up on this pole okay while the other two gentlemen 
take a rope that is attached to the pole and wind it around their foot and jump off the pole. Uh, say what? Well, fifty foot, right? I did say that. Oh shoot! All right. If like a cat, they land on their feet, the god is happy and the sun will return. I don't know what happens if they don't. <laughs> Even if they do, my, my notes, probably wrecked my notes do not indicate what happens if they do not land on their feet. Shit. The notes also do not indicate what medical treatment is available on an immediate basis for individuals observing the jumping off the 50 foot pole. Oh, yeah. Like, what if you get jumped on? Like, what if the, the other guy has a bad jump and just comes down right after you? Yeah. Or the guy playing the music falls. He's not even t- tethered to the pole. He's not tethered to the pole and his hands are busy. Very. You still with me? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. 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 That's wild. So the Inca also had a festival on the solstice. Uh, that was outlawed by the Catholics when they conquered South America. Of course. But this tradition was revived in the 50s and continues to this very day. Well done. Good. Yeah. Good. Um I'm here for this. Yeah. I don't I don't think your I don't think the pole in your house is quite big enough. Not for three men and certainly not, not high for, enough. Not for three men for one of them to play drums or the flute while two others jump off. <laughs> I feel like it might be less injury prone. Like my risk profile accommodates a room pole where it doesn't accommodate a 50 foot pole true but i don't think my my room is big enough for any of that not with that attitude you're right you're right i am having yeah, the wrong yeah. attitude towards this just think festive think festive think festive. get festive get festive all right let's move on dongzi festival this is a tradition from china that is also celebrated in other parts of southeast asia it typically starts on December 22nd and is centered around balance of the universe and thus also yin and yang energy. Like many of the traditions we've already discussed, it involves family get-togethers and feasting. 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 One of the traditional foods during this time period were balls made of rice flour, which symbolize reunion in some places. Um, these are also stuck to like doors and the backs of chairs and things for good luck. You got to keep track of all of them though. Cause yeah. like what happens if you stick one to a door and like you forget it there and now there's just a ball of rice flour, like rotting on your furniture. I imagine you would find it eventually. Uh, interestingly, rice flour is one of the longest lasting of the flowers. It will stay good longer than like wheat flour and like all the other cereal flowers and stuff. Okay. You can store Never rice mind. flour much, much longer. Anyway, Never mind. older traditions required people, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, of the same clan to meet at their family's ancestral temple to worship, uh, sacrifice, and again, feast. Feast. Homework. Let's talk about homework. We want you to do something, gentle listeners. Yes, right. this is that portion of the episode where we send you away with something to do. It is. All right. So. Uh, we have now looked at a wide variety of traditions from around the world. Uh, there are some similar components that we can parse out. However, as we discussed quite a bit, actually, in some of our earlier episodes, personalization gives things a whole lot more significance and thus more power. Whether that is your athame, your spells and rituals, or uh, your simple traditions that you share with friends and family, give it all a personal touch. We will talk first about basic celebration, 
uh, or honoring of these days. And then we will leave you with some ideas on crafting a specific ritual for the holiday. Uh, For some of these points, we are going to be intentionally vague as to not color your perception too much more than we already have. Uh, and to leave those ideas open to interpretation for a wide variety of sabbats and seasonal celebrations. Indeed. That said, some of the things we're going to give you might be pretty specific, because, you know, we are talking about winter holidays in this episode, but we'll leave some stuff open, too, in case, you know, you're one of our friends in the Southern Hemisphere and need to adapt things for... Yeah, you're trying to set up your summer holidays or whatever. Before writing this section, we posted on our Facebook community page, fellow travelers, and asked people um, what their traditions were during this time. And we received a couple responses, and they were rather similar to some of the things we're going to provide with you here. We also got to see some really beautiful photographs of one of our listeners' listeners' decorations. They're quite nice. Um, They are. They're beautiful. But, and digging in now... The first thing you should probably do is bust out a piece of paper, or better yet, your journal. Your journal. Write down the holiday or celebration you're working on, and then write a few sentences, however many you feel like you need to, about what you are trying to convey. How are you honoring yourself, your ancestors, your family, your friends, or spiritual forms you may seek to please? Write all this down. That's your statement of intent. We've discussed this. So, what symbolism is relevant to these ideas, forms, energies? Uh, Are there archetypes that can be brought into play? What colors are appropriate? What other senses can you stimulate? Uh, This is where you might start looking at correspondence charts for incense, herbs, stones, metals, candles, etc., and align them with your practice. Again, make sure you are recording all of this in your journal. If we are specifically talking about winter, I want the smell of pine. You can make wreaths with pine. Uh, You can bind sticks together and make a pentacle for the center of your wreath. Um, Maybe consider making this with friends and family. You can weave it in or weave into it various other symbols as well as herbs Remember, the circle is, uh, in this case, representative of the circle of life and the wheel of the year. There are dozens of other things you can you can do with pine as well. Evergreens, in general, represent the continuation of life as um, they don't lose their leaves in the winter. So it, it's a good symbol to have around uh, during this season. Some people want to smell cinnamon and clove. Mulled wine and mead is, is often a good call. Uh, for for friends and sacramental alike, oranges represent the sun. So you know you could have orange juice for breakfast, or better yet, have a mimosa. I mean, there's no reason that this festival shouldn't be about day drinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, consider a nice mimosa. Honestly, I really love the smell of pine smoke in particular. That sure. really yeah. feels like winter to me. Because of yeah. times that I've been camping in the winter before, and we always burn pine because it burns hotter. Yeah. Um, the the smell of like that really crisp, snowy smell after a fresh snowfall when everything is still a little bit frozen and a little bit delicate, and there's just kind of that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the scent of snickerdoodles. I love the smell of snickerdoodles. I don't actually like snickerdoodles that much, y'all. Oh, dude. I ate so much snickerdoodle batter the other day. So I, I made like dozens of snickerdoodles and took them to work. I didn't actually. I ate like two. Like, they're good, but 
that is not where my cookie heart lies. But the smell uh, of baking snickerdoodles kind of means winter holiday to me. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's, I've been in a cookie baking frenzy, but right? carry on. Winter is often, it's it's seen as, as a time to be introspective, whereas spring is more sexy time, summer is more play time, fall is more start packing it in and do some work time. Uh, winter, I mean, it's it's dark, it's cold. You're you're in your house. It's a time for introspection. So you might consider setting aside time for yourself. Uh, you can use this time however you like, analyzing your goals, the state of your affairs, your finances, your home life. Consider changes you'd like to make in your life for yourself. Start building habits for the new year now. It takes a few weeks, you know, give yourself a head start. If you're a person that likes to make resolutions or other focused intent meditations, now's the time to start thinking about those because if you can act on them now, you'll have a better shot of being successful after the new year, after the solstice. Yeah, absolutely. Very good sure. point. Very good point. You can record a guided meditation for yourself. Uh, you could find a nice one already out there that you want to use. Maybe consider writing yourself a letter. Uh, to remain sealed until this time next year, like a like a quick one year little memory capsule. Oh yeah, that's cute. I like that. Honoring or remembering family and friends who have passed away is a good idea for fall and winter holidays. Um, why not have a small table or altar set aside in remembrance of of those people um, who are now only with you in spirit and memory. Candles and incense can be lit to send them prayers, or uh, you can burn a, a paper prayer in a in a bowl. In a bowl. Uh, in a bowl. In or a bowl. you know, other or outside. Outside, other safe container. You know, yes. um, they also make the was that wishing paper that's like really light and burns like up. Really flash bad. paper. Similar to flash paper, yeah, except it doesn't <laughs> burn so bright. Right. Um, have you can have pictures of them out, uh, little tokens of remembrance, maybe heirlooms or something like that. Um, this could also help spark storytelling with younger family members, um, remembering fond memories and also teaching youngsters the importance of family. Many cultures uh, around the world keep year round um, altars to ancestors in their homes. Uh, this is a space that can be used for reflecting on memories, um, what these people taught you, why they were important to you or uh, offering prayers or asking for guidance. If you have a fireplace or an outdoor fire pit, or even an outdoor grill. Uh, you might want to consider decorating and burning a Yule log. Uh, SRW also makes a really great suggestion. If you don't have an indoor or outdoor fireplace, maybe you live smack dab in the middle of the city or something, and you have like a tomato planter in a window, and that's all the wilderness you get. You can get like a little, like a small hardwood log and carve some holes in it and decorate and anoint it as your Yule log and put some tea lights in the holes and burn them symbolically. Like you're burning your Yule log, you're burning on your Yule log. But it's, you know, it's kind of the same. That's what we've been talking about with symbolic and sympathetic magic. So then you can have it as a centerpiece on your dinner table as you feast with all of your loved ones in your tiny apartment. Yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of people packed in a tiny apartment before. Eating just Eating. so much. Oh, yeah. Like, so there was much. one Greg's giving, I think, that I was just, just packed, just packed full of people. And, you know, there's Tiny just something bit. for that. There's there's nothing quite like that experience of yeah. gathering so many people that you actually like 
together in a tiny apartment and feeding them lavishly. Yes, definitely. Um, other things. Consider making uh, these uh, get-togethers, how do I put this, high-tech free, I guess? Uh, you know, you can use a microwave if you must, but... Like, get you know, primitive with it. You don't even have to get primitive. Just put the phones and computers and TVs to bed, all right? Okay. Or at least give them a bedtime. Or give them a bedtime. Sure. I mean, just we should be connecting with one another again. Like, we've stopped connecting with one another a lot as a people. I go to holidays now with family and it's just like everybody's in front of a TV or a computer and all the kids are on their phone or their iPad or blah. And we got to come back together. <laughs> I will you know say I mean? in, in defense of some aspects of tech that like, if you've got family that can't be there, consider Skyping them in. Why not? Yeah. That's fair. Like I'm there are practical that. uses for these things. And sure. obviously the internet has connected us as a world in a different but way. Turn, turn your devices to the purpose and the intention of getting your friends and family and people you like together in I whatever what form that takes. Like, yeah. Family, family time is important. Um, and be that chosen family, obligatory family, blood family, whatever you got. Yeah, absolutely. In a, in a similar vein, like talking about kids and it's mostly the, you know, the, the younger generation that, you know, needs to take a take a chill pill away from their uh, their phone or whatever. All right, easy um, there, old timer. <laughs> I'm a teacher, man. I'm so. Uh, I think you're anyway, younger than I am. I am. Uh, but <laughs> I see the effects of it. I, see, I just see the effects of it so intimately in the classroom. That's but, fair. Uh, so what do we do? Oh, uh, we can't talk about that. No. What do we, what do, we do instead? Oh, what do we do instead? Okay. Because there's not enough time to talk about the solution to that problem. No, 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 no. Uh, what in do we do instead vein, for this specific purpose? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Have, uh, consider having special activities for the kids, like special jobs for them to do. Can they help out in food preparation process? Does wood need to be chopped and brought in and stacked and stuff? Can they uh, fulfill a special role in a tradition? Are there games related to the theme of the day that they can get involved in maybe i want to go back to wood chopping for a moment and yeah. i want to remark that i absolutely love the juxtaposition of you should get off your phone and i will swing an axe near you <laughs> i mean i, I like you, this it's like a real life video game isn't it, it? a little yeah Except that the only results are either you're already pretty good at wood splitting, or you're gonna meet an M like you're gonna meet some EMTs. No, I mean, how do you learn to split wood then? If you don't know how, you have to learn how somehow. That's true. I know. Maybe I'm being old and crotchety. Yeah, I don't know. I had to split wood as a kid, so that's fair. Yeah, I did not. Anyway, I learned. I learned much later. Fair enough. Um, where was I? Games. Uh, we were talking about games. We were talking about storytelling. Right. Um, maybe the whole family or group can get together and uh, participate in some kind of storytelling together. Uh, Silver Ravenwolf makes a, a suggestion that maybe you could have a skit or a play uh, for younger members of the family, either for them to watch or for them to put on and, and act out, or um, even your coven representing the, the symbolic conflict between the Oak King and the Holly King, or you could have it be about the uh the god and goddess version of the mythos just you know remember it's for kids and to you know adjust your script in accordance right because i don't know if we have to 
like graphically depict the birth of the Holly King. Right. Or the, the intercourse between the two or, you know, right. Write your craft, script to your audience. Craft your, your script to your audience. <laughs> if this yeah. is a Yule or Saturnalia type celebration, uh, consider having gift exchanges and feasting over the course of several days and nights as was done of old. Maybe play some of the many gift giving and gift exchanging games that are out there uh, or gamble with almonds and peanuts and loose change and chocolate coins and party hardy on, on new year's Eve, not just to welcome in the calendar year, but also to welcome the new solar year and just to celebrate being around people you like. That's like the holiday version of it, right? Right. So let's talk about the ritual side of it. Right. So yeah, if you want to, strict spiritual practice like here's what we're gonna do to honor uh the season or our patron deity or whatever right so perhaps the simplest thing you can do is is decorate your altar for yule if you don't have an altar uh the top of a dresser um or table or the edge of a counter will do fine if you're someone who's in the broom closet for whatever reason and this is a term i actually just heard about for the first time uh, it refers to somebody who's like keeping their their pagan beliefs and practices secret because like parents or whatever people they live around don't approve of it. Anyway, um, if you are one of those people, you can always just say, "Yeah, these are seasonal decorations." Remember the the Yule log description above with the tea lights in it. Um, this would be a great in, uh, addition to your altar top. Uh, alternatively, if space allows, you can set up a, a temporary altar entirely dedicated to Yule. Some things you might want to consider when planning our ritual for this time uh, include, are you entering this ceremony or right alone or with others? Uh, if other people are participating, uh, what roles will they fulfill? Try and have a job or function for everyone involved to fulfill. So consider sharing of food unless fasting is part of your ritual. Uh, Bread or cakes and ale, as we've discussed, are particularly common. Uh, Wine, mead, cider, also good sacraments for this. But if you are going non-alcoholic, you can use grape or apple juice or even just not hard cider is one of my favorites. Um, Yeah, sure. Consider orange juice since it represents the sun. But remember, in a ritual space, when honoring your patron deities, uh, you offer them a bit of food and drink first before everyone else in the circle. Absolutely. Many people have a, a libation bowl or box that you can place or pour offerings to deities in if um, you know, you're practicing indoors and then take it outside after the temple is deconstructed um, where you can, you can leave it for the deity to consume through one of its agents, plants, animals, mold, whatever. Um, if you're already outside, you can just dump or, or place it directly on the ground that, as long as you do maybe so. Maybe dump. Pour. Upend, pour. Pour. Yeah. As long as you do it reverently. Okay. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's just dump one out for the god and goddess. <laughs> pour one out for the homies. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, this is for your deities um, or, you know, for the world or the universe, if you will. Of course, you always want to think about um, all the sensual correspondency stuff that we talked about at the beginning of this last section as well and consider, you know, what kind of things to stimulate the mind you're going to bring into your space. So this might all look like the erecting of your temple, including cleansing the space, moving furniture, setting up an altar, eventually casting your circle. You may draw down the quarters. This is a really good time of year for that. 
you might say a few words to your participants about why they are all here and getting everyone sort of in the mood, as it were. Uh, you may then call upon your deities to be present uh, with a prayer or summons or invocation, although we haven't really talked about those yet. We will get there. We will. We promise. We will. Yeah, well, it's that episode's mostly already written. We're just it waiting is. for the right time to present we are. that. We are. So this summons might also include the ringing of a bell or gong or chime of some kind. Uh, after this, you might offer up uh, the food and drink that you've brought. You might include circle dancing or singing within the circle in honor of the time and the deity. Some other things you might want to consider are small rituals or gestures of personal significance that are relevant uh, to the Sabbath. Uh, some people like to use this space time to devote themselves to new ways of life, causes, make promises, etc. You could also use it to ask for forgiveness from your patron, patron deity if you feel you've acted in a way that is um, opposite or inappropriate towards their will or teaching. Um, I, either of these things could be done aloud in your mind, on paper, the paper you could then burn, like we discussed in our composing your own magic ritual, or sorry, you're composing your own magic episode, and, you know, the smoke and ash of that sends the prayer up to the god. Sure. After this, you might proceed similar to our ritual example in that aforementioned episode. Take some time to clear your mind through meditation, make sure you are good and grounded, and then you can raise a cone of power or Use another energy conduit technique that you like. Once this is done, work any magic or direct ritual that you need to. Uh, fire off the energy into the universe, as we've discussed. You may then thank the deities and other spirits you may have called upon and then proceed with deconstructing your circle and temple. And from there, just proceed with whatever whatever else your day has in store, meeting with friends and family for a feast or feast. You know, whatever it is. Feast we're, it up. We're big fans of feasting. All about the feasting. And we apparently are. ancient people were all about the feasting as well. And they weren't wrong. No, everyone loves a feast. Everyone loves a feast. We're excited. Buckland, Raymond Buckland. Buckland's complete book of witchcraft. Um, here's a silly one that we used, the December Solstice Customs from timeanddate.com. Uh, information categories, winter solstice, yule lore and traditions from wicca.com. Ogden Publications, Inc. had an article, the winter solstice traditions, rituals for simple celebration. That's from Mother Earth Living. Uh, Silver Ravenwolf, Solitary Witch, Peruge. Peruge, Starhawk, The Spiral Dance, The Rebirth of the Ancient uh, Religion of the Great Goddess. Claire Tragaser, 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 I don't know. Why we celebrate the winter solstice uh, in travel and leisure. And that's our work cited for this week. It is. We will post these with uh, more specifically formatted links and citations in our Facebook group, Fellow Travelers, which we would, gentle listener, dearly love if you would join us for it. yes and also uh follow us on instagram at fool's guide uh, you can tweet at us on the twitter if you do so please tell us elsewhere so we can check yeah we don't check the twitter we don't but we but have it one. exists it does it does that brings us to the end of our episode it Kevin. does it That's does. what we got yeah you know go forth practice create some cool rituals um if you 
use some of this or any of this or something else to design a, a neato ritual, whether it's for the winter solstice or any other holiday or tradition or whatever you'd like to celebrate. We'd love it if you'd share it with us on our various social media sites. Um, it's always interesting to see uh, fellow practitioners and, and hear from them how they how they uh, incorporate their, pra- their practice and their beliefs into their life. It is. Tell us about what you experience and design. Yeah, absolutely. We're here to learn as much as you are. Uh, Expand your minds, keep good notes, and seek all the knowledge you can. But for now, our purpose is done, and our circle is broken. Go back to the world, enriched in knowledge and alight with laughter, at least a little bit more than when we started. So mote it be. So mote it be. So mote it be, thrice bound and done. Until next time, gentle listeners, fools out. Keep dreaming, my dreamy friends.